Well, we've just come through the commemoration of the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's 95 Theses and how they ignited the Reformation. But as an Old Testament scholar, I am here to tell you right now that this celebration doesn't go back far enough. In fact, to find the real roots of the Reformation, we need to go back over 2,500 years to an event that is really unknown to most Bible readers. The year is 539 B.C. Now about 50 years before that, in 597 and 586 B.C., the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had deported masses of the population of Judah and Jerusalem to Babylon. He stripped the covenant nation of their promised land. The Judeans in 586 also saw the desecration and destruction of the temple built by Solomon along with devastating destruction of Jerusalem itself. The Babylonians left the entire region of Judah wrecked and ruined. In the words of the Bible, it was a haunt of jackals. Now fast forward about 50 years. A generation of Judeans have been born in the Babylonian exile. They know no other life but as a marginalized population in a huge pagan empire. Their God is humiliated, their religion is discredited, their faith is undermined, their hope is nearly gone. Suddenly, on October 31st, 539 B.C., all that changes because of a man history knows as Cyrus the Great. Now this guy took a backwater redneck mountain kingdom called Anshan and built it into a world-class empire, the one we call Persia. And in 539 B.C., Cyrus came knocking on Babylon's front door. Trick or treat! Overnight, the Babylonian Empire falls to Cyrus and the Persians. You can see the shock and the surprise of the story in Daniel chapter 5, the story of King Belshazzar's drunken, blasphemous, and permanently interrupted feast. The change of empire might mean nothing, really, except that Cyrus was a different kind of ruler. Cyrus set about rebuilding the temples in all of the cities of his empire. He restored the, the priesthoods in those places. He restored their religion. Most importantly, he allowed exiled people to return to their homelands. Now the Judeans in several waves then headed back to the ruined and really uninhabitable land of Judah and to the demolished wreck of Jerusalem. They undertook the grueling task of rebuilding and they faced all kinds of challenges and trials and they very nearly gave up more than once. But they never gave up. They reconstituted their community. They repaired their city. They rebuilt their temple. And in fact, from that moment up to the destruction of that temple in 70 AD, we call this the Second Temple Period. Most of all these Judeans renewed and restored their faith identity. Now for the first time in history, the religion we come to know and respect as Judaism springs up from the ruins of what earlier really could only have been called Israelite and Judean religion. So, what does all this have to do with the Reformation? Well, everything. First of all, if Cyrus the Great had not decreed the return of the exiles to their homeland, we simply wouldn't have Judaism. Speaking historically, without the returned community in Judaism, there's no community to await a Messiah. With no messianic hope, there's no Jesus born in Bethlehem. And with no Jesus born in Bethlehem, well, you get it. No Jesus, no Reformation. But more specifically, the Second Temple period birthed in the Jewish heart a determination never again to depart from the covenant of Yahweh, never again to allow pagan influence to corrupt their faith. 
Now to ensure that they would remain faithful and true, the Jews of this period gave focused attention to their scriptures. Centuries-old scrolls, traditions, sermons, songs, prayers, rituals, stories, the whole thing, all these aspects of their tradition were examined, sifted, purified, collected, and gathered into documents that could guide their lives and keep them from deviating catastrophically from the truth of God. This document is what we know as the Old Testament. Without Cyrus the Great ending the Babylonian exile, we have no Old Testament, and we have no scripture principle. Thus, the sola scriptura cry of the Reformation would have been absolutely impossible without Cyrus the Great. Now, with a focus on scripture, the return inaugurated by Cyrus the Great also saw the emergence of a whole new religious institution devoted to the reading and study of Scripture and to prayer in every community. This institution became known as the synagogue, and the synagogue is the prototype of the early church, which met to read and study Scripture, to pray, celebrate the Eucharist, and preach the Gospel. And the Reformation is profoundly about the church. But without Cyrus, you see, we'd have no template for the life of the church. On top of that, it's clear that the Jews of the Second Temple period were engaged in a radical criticism of their past mistakes and sins. They were trying to construct a, a renewed, purified, wait for it, reformed expression of the Hebrew faith. In doing this, they built into the DNA of every biblically formed community the need for a never-ending process of reformation and renewal. So again, without the impulse of Second Temple Judaism put into motion by Cyrus the Great, we have no church in constant reformation. Now still another dynamic of the Second Temple era was something else. This is deeper and it's darker. The Jews of the exile nearly lost hope. They faced the fact that they lost the land, lost their identity as God's people, lost the Davidic kingship, lost the temple, lost it all because they realized they deserved it. They had turned their backs on God, violated His covenant, spurned the appeals of the prophets, shut their ears, and hardened their hearts. So judgment fell. They had no reason to believe God had any further use for them. They had no basis to presume that they had any future at all except to be absorbed into the ever-spreading stain on the map of pagan empires. So, on that October 31st night in uh, 2,556 years ago, the Babylonian Empire fell, Cyrus opened the gates for the Jews to go home, and the Jews were stunned. This could only be the blinding, bright miracle of God's grace. This dream of starting over was not something they deserved. It was the gift of God delivered by a pagan king. On October 31st, 539, sola gratia, grace alone, was a thrilling reality in every Jewish heart. But returning, rebuilding, restarting, this was grueling, excruciatingly hard work. Those Jews faced obstacles. All the bets were against them. If they had really done the pros and cons, they'd have stayed in Persia. What made them think that even with Cyrus's approval, they could actually get back to Jerusalem, reconstruct the city, rebuild their temple from scratch, and recover their place in the purpose and plan of God? Clearly, this task was beyond them. But the prophet Zechariah reminded them, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord.
They would only succeed if they acted in pure, naked, unadorned faith. They had to believe that what the prophets promised was still true. They had to believe God would protect them. They had to believe God's heart had turned to them again. And, and that was all sola fidei, by faith alone. One more thing. In the entire Bible, only one Gentile is referred to as God's Messiah. You'll find it in the book of the prophet Isaiah. The name of that Gentile Messiah is Cyrus. So while we're celebrating what Martin Luther did 500 years ago, let's not forget he could have never done any of that had it not been for what was done 2,556 years earlier on the same date by Cyrus the Great, God's Gentile Messiah and the great, 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 great grandfather of the Reformation. 